Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Monday. Hey. Yeah. Case of the Mondays. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. Woohoo. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about this as, as we were starting to, to hit record. What a clear evidence of the fall it is, right? That, that people hate Mondays because it means going back to work. It's like, oh man, I got to go back to work. The weekend's over. Like, it's even a, a sign of how the, the natural world understands the consequences of Genesis 3. Because the, the reason why we don't like work, now you and I are, are unique in the fact that I, I, I happen don't like to my work enjoy it. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Uh, no, but I think the reason why so many people don't like work does go back to Genesis chapter three. You're going to work the ground by the sweat of your brow. Work itself is not a result of the fall. Right. But hard work, uh, laborious work, frustrating work, tedious work, monotonous work, that, that's a result of the fall. I would, I would, dis, I would dis exclude hard. Hard is not bad, but I do agree. Frustrating, uh, I guess, re- work that resists you, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But hard work in and of itself, you could, you could do a lot of things. Well, and that's what's so interesting, right? Because he says you're going to work the ground by the sweat of your brow. So pre-fall, was the body so fine-tuned that there wasn't, like you didn't have to sweat? Do you think that's, well, okay, I guess you think you took that as a literal thing. I took that to mean that the, the expenditure would be greater for the same result. So not that it was not, I, I think hard work is a good thing. I, 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 love I agree with that. Yeah. And there are times when my hard work is like, oh, this feels amazing. And I think in part because it feels hard, it's good. It's a good hard. But I, I understood that to mean when he said that you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, that it was the the sense of like, you, you only had to work seven units, whatever that is to, to get seven productions or right. whatever that is. Now you're going to have to work 14 units to get those same seven productions. Right. It would cost you more to get the same result. That, that's that's what I understood. And then the difficulty of the thorns and thistles, yeah. viruses, and other resistant factors within creation. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I, I don't disagree that hard work is is a good thing. But I, I do think our even our conception of hard work is tainted by the fall because we don't think of it naturally as a good thing. Like when somebody says, oh man, you're going to have to work really hard for that. Like, yeah, in, in the, the, the altruistic sense, there's this sense of like, yeah, I'll ha- and I'll have a good sense of accomplishment. But man, when you're shoveling the dirt and it's, it is hard, yeah. you're sitting there and there's so many times that in the midst of the hard work, you're like, I wish this was easier. I don't want to be doing this right now. Yeah, sure. And I think that's actually what prompts so many cool technological inventions. Like someone was digging one day, like, you know, this would be easier if I just had a yeah. shovel type thing that I could do this without bending down as trying to undo the effects of the fall or trying to mitigate. And I think that's, that's a good thing. I think God intended for us to use all of creation. That's taking dominion. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an, it is an interesting concept, right? Because I mean, if we push that, if we're too far against that, then it's like, okay, well, isn't that what modern medicine is trying to do? Mitigate the effects of the fall, right? Sustain life. And that's noble. That's good. It is. It is to an extent. Well, of course, right. Anything can be taken to its furthest, most unnatural and ungodly conclusions. But, you know, within the scope of normal expected day-to-day usage, I love Advil for that very reason. Right. Fair. Because, yeah, because it alleviates the pain. Which allows me then to work. But even like... More effectively. I mean, our bodies are, are, we're born dying, 
right? Like that's, that's the reality. Nobody, like that's just what it is. Nobody's born with the potential to live forever and ever. We're born dying. We're going to die. Everybody has that day on the books for us. So I think we can cross over into the place of being too consumed, trying to extend, even without going into questionable or moralist or ethically questionable practices. I think we can be too consumed with the concept of escaping the effects of the fall and even trying to prolong life when the the reality is your body's trying to give up right we're not going to yeah obviously there are there's ethical questions about that you know the right to die movement has some of those things you know at what point does it make sense to withdraw someone from life support at what point do you do you stop taking the medicine i get all that and i obviously that's a bit of a sticky wicket right but all things being equal like you have glasses on right now yes that the effect of the fall is your blurry vision true I had glasses. The effect of the fall is my blurry vision. I got, I got the LASIK. Yeah. And I've had, you know, my eyes be pretty good for 10 years now. And I'm all about that. Yeah. Um, there's, re- there's good mitigating factors to trying to, I don't know, subvert the fall, but to, to mitigate the effects of it. And yeah. I think that's a noble pursuit. Yeah. By and large. Yeah. I look weird with glasses off. So that's why I'm not going to get LASIK. <laughs> I don't know, man. You could always get some fake glasses and just keep the illusion going. Yeah. Yeah. That would go over great. <laughs> What's the point then? What's the point? Uh, Why style? You know what? Gen Z picked that up. I mean, that was a trend for a long time. Just yeah. wearing glasses for the for the young. When I first started wearing glasses in high school, because I started in my freshman year of high school, people accused me. They were like, "Are those fake glasses?" I'm like, no. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Once once you wear glasses for a long season, it's hard to envision someone without them. Right. Right. Yeah. And when you see somebody not wearing glasses, it normally does. You're like, oh, what's oh, wrong with your face? You? <laughs> yeah, what like, happened? Something's broken. Yeah. Put more things to cover your face. It's <laughs> better. Be ah. Yeah. No, uh, my prescription is pretty, pretty timid as it is anyways, or, or, or tame. Tame. Oh, okay. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Um, got weak eyes. Cause yeah, PJ. I got weak eyes for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, for me, it's mostly night driving, like night driving. Everything is oh. blur. I cannot see. I cannot read signs. I can't. And yes. Texas is super dark, so I don't blame you because Texas does not make it easy. Yeah, the whole state, just super dark. It is, yeah. though. I mean, come on. <laughs> Where we live, there's not a lot of light. Well, hold on. Let's, let's, let's present context for, for some people that don't, aren't familiar with where you live. You live in a newer neighborhood okay. further yes. out yes. in a city that's still developing. Yes. So the streetlights haven't caught up to where you guys right. planted. That, that, that's true. Fair? Yeah. Okay. I'd say that. So, I mean, maybe eventually you'll get light. <sighs> hey, I heard Thomas Edison's on his way. He's going to make it happen. <laughs> You know, I don't mind though being able to look up at the night sky. That's kind of cool, right? For I, sure, I feel like that's really cool and, and enjoyable. But I really, at night, is when I feel, especially oh, those drivers with the really bright LEDs. Yeah, man, those I, guys. Some of those have to be illegal. I'm they have to because they're facing right at me, and yeah. I, I legitimately can't see right for several seconds when their lights are shining my direction. Yeah, like what am I supposed to do? How do I? What pray. am I supposed to do with that? You're Seriously, to pray. that's all I have to do. When Jesus, take happen, the wheel. I let it go, and yep. He takes it. Let bro. go, let God. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Carrie Underwood's in. I hate the LED lights, man. I'm gonna get some on my car so I could see. But those people that the trucks, especially yeah. the trucks, man, they go. They a Honda Civic stands no chance. Well, the new Tesla truck has a big giant LED light bar, and <sighs> I, I've been watching some of the reviews on it now because I'm gonna get one just because I'm curious. And uh, it, the the headlights on it are getting trashed, like. People really? can't, they're not effective. They can't they're, see. yeah. So I think Audi designed an LED system on the front of their car where when another car is coming, it will mute the light yeah. at, and track their car as it drives by so yeah. that they can't see it. Yeah. So that this, the lights stay on, but there's a part of the, I guess it's one long light on the front. Okay. That as the car passes, the system tracks them cool. and mutes just that spot. 
It's cool. While keeping everything else fully illuminated. That's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Dude, that, yeah. we're in a future. I don't know who you are, but yeah. this is the future. We're in it. Yeah, even my old car, it would have the, the auto brights where I could ha- I could leave my oh, brights yeah. on the whole time. You're and right, when it's a coming, yeah, it would turn it off. That's cool. I like yeah. that. My current car does not, but that's okay. I just leave my brights on the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. Them. Thank you. Hey, let's get to uh, our Bible reading for the day. Speaking of bright lights. Yeah. Hey, Genesis chapter 30 and 31. Uh, chapter 30 continues. You, you'll notice there's not really a, a, a break between what happens in 29 and what happens in 30, and that's because this is dealing with the same subject. This is continuing the fallout of Jacob's relationship with both Rachel and Leah. And so you have more kids coming in chapter 30. Uh, Rachel is jealous, and uh, she goes to Jacob and says, give me children or I shall die, verse 31. Or verse one. Um, yeah, that uh, that's that's desperation. He said, okay. Okay, fine, I'll do it. Sorry, fine. I've been holding back, but I'll, I'll do it. And that's what he says in verse two. Am I in the place of God? You know, I, I can't do that. And so Rachel... Uh, says, okay, you may not be in the place of God, but I'm going to try to play God. Here, take my servant, take Bilhah, and go into her that she may give birth on my behalf. And so she does this. She gives him to him as a wife, as a concubine, verse four. And uh, and Jacob goes into her and begins to produce children by Bilhah. You've got Dan is born through Bilhah. And then later on, you've got Naphtali is born through Bilhah. But then here's Leah. Leah's upset too now. And so Leah's going to say, well, she gave you Bilhah. I'm going to give you Zilpah. And so she gives Zilpah and Zilpah produces then for him uh, Gad. And then you've got Asher as well. Uh, I love Asher's name because it means happy. It's, uh, it's a good name. My youngest, Samuel, is his middle name is Asher. Oh, I know uh, that. Yeah. That's means cool. happy. Yeah. But uh, Bill, uh, Zilpah gives him, uh, gives him Gad and Asher. And then uh, you've got this, this competitive situation that shows up having to do with mandrakes, where, which were considered to be a, an aphrodisiac. And, and there's, there's a back and forth where, where Jacob is sold. The rights to Jacob are, are sold between sisters. And uh, Leah goes into Jacob and, uh, and Leah conceives and, and gives birth to Is- Issachar or Isaacar, however you want to say it. Uh, you say potato, I say potato. Um, and then you get Zebulon show up and then there's a daughter, Dinah, and Dinah is going to come into a, to factor in a, a tragic way in a couple chapters here. And then finally the chapter ends or the chapter doesn't end, but this section ends with Rachel finally having her own child, uh, biologically speaking, at least. And that is Joseph who's born to her in verse 24. The language is similar to God remembering Noah. Right. Uh, and he remembered Rachel. He remembers Noah. I think that's significant. Those, that's one of those phrases throughout the book of Genesis because God's going to remember Joseph too. Right. Actually, he's going to be forgotten first and then he's going to, oops, and then he's going to be remembered. Uh, so that's a significant phrase within the book of Genesis. As you read through, you're going to notice this, a few key moments, pivotal moments within Israel's history. Um, so that's a cool phrase. It just highlights the fact this is a climactic moment. Even though it's in the middle of the chapter, this is one of those highlights in the book of Genesis. Yeah, for sure. So the children are, are wrapped up basically with Joseph. There's going to be another one. Benjamin is going to be born later on. But at this point, you have the, uh, the children and the record of them. Well, as we go on, uh, Jacob goes to uh, Laban and says uh, on the heels of this, okay, look, my 14 years are up. Send me away. And Laban pleads with Jacob and says, hey, why don't you stay and name your wages and I'll give it to you. And so they barter and negotiate and uh, they land on, hey, we're going to, I'll take care of your flocks and you give me the ones that are striped and speckled, the ones that are spotted and, and striped. And Laban agrees to this. And then Laban tries to deceive Jacob by taking all of them away. And, and so there's none there to, to breed in such a way that they would produce more. And then somehow Jacob comes up with the idea to, to peel the sticks of poplar and put them in there. There's a lot of work going into all this deception that's going on in, in this chapter. And, uh, and, and yet finally, um, 
it, it, it turns out that, that Jacob deceives Laban by, by stealing the strongest of his flock through this plot. And, uh, and is found out and in chapter 31, things go from worse to, to worser, um, because Laban gets angry and, uh, and Jacob is, uh, is, is running and, and, uh, and it, it just, it's a, it's a mess. It's a mess. Anything on chapter 30, Pastor Rod, before we move on to 31. Yeah, I guess the one thing I noticed that, that stood out to me this time around is well, in, in the section of was Jacob prospers and, and grows, it seems like Jacob is, is scheming. He's scheming to to receive God's intended end, and this is, of course, consistent with his character. And so, my my only uh, my only point here is to recognize that Jacob is scheming for God's blessing. Yeah, he is pursuing godly ends in sinful with sinful means. And again, I think that's an, an important consideration for us, as there are times in our lives where we try to force the will of God. We know that God wants to do A, B, C, or D, but we try to pursue it in ungodly ways. I think the point here is that as Jacob and Laban are interacting, they're explosive. They're like two chemicals that should never be put together because they don't do well together. And it's important because in chapter 31, actually, God himself is going to be the one who initiates Jacob's departure. In part, I think, because they're just so, to use modern vernacular, so toxic for one another. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, not only does he initiate the departure and that, yeah, that's in verse three. I noted that as well, that he tells him to return to the land of your fathers, the covenant language here. Again, this is the promised land. He wants him to go back because God has plans for Israel there. But even look down at, uh, at verse 12, when this verse kind of shows God taking sides in the argument between Jacob and, and Laban here, or the situation here, he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats and mate, the mate with the flock are striped and spotted and mottled for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. And so it seems there right. that God is, is vindicating Joseph or Jacob a little bit here by, uh, by providing the, the flock that, that he gets to now take with him. And so that's, that's a little bit of, of a unique situation there. Nonetheless, the, the rest of the chapter, uh, Jacob gathers his family, his two wives, and and they leave. They flee, and they they flee while while Laban's away. They're not going to tell Laban that they're leaving, and that's not going to go well because Laban's going to chase them down. In the meantime, Rachel decides to uh, to to theft some of her uh, her dad's uh, household gods. There. What gives? Yeah, I doubt yeah. her. Well, and, and that's the thing. So there's a couple things. Uh, the, the household gods here, number one, uh, this was a way for her to be vindictive against her dad. And so th- there's some thought here. Maybe there's there's some bitterness there for her dad swapping Leah out for her to begin with, um, that, that she still harbors some resentment there to, towards her dad. So taking his, his gods would have been a, a way to uh, wound him and, and hurt him in that way. But then this is also, I think, even more than that, just an indication that Rachel still has these vestiges of her polytheistic past uh, lingering that that this is uh, this is Israel in the raw right now. This is not the post Sinai uh, Mosaic covenant people of God who have the law written down and know how right. to, to to handle things. They're they're still very much a worldly people that God is forming in the midst of a worldly society and culture. Yeah, and that's important because you're going to see this idolatry take place in in another book. In fact, the book right after this in the book of Exodus. Yep, this is in. Israel's bones, so to speak. This is just kind of what they do, and this is Israel unfiltered and raw. And really, realistically, this is us. We, we are idolaters. We don't, we don't have household gods, not in the same way anyway, but right. we do have gods that are not the Lord himself. We have lots of gods that compete for the attention of our hearts, and sometimes we give in to them. It's important to see that this is not favorable. This is not a good thing. Clearly, it's not a good thing. Right. God doesn't want us to do that. So what's the right response? To the, the situation? Sure, or having <laughs> having competing gods for our affections, competing gods for our desires. Right. I mean, well, the response in, in Scripture is anything that competes with Christ needs to be 
mortified, needs to be put to death, needs to be removed, and uh, and the, the the smashing of the idols. I mean, I even think of when when Moses goes up on on Sinai to receive the the commandments, and then you've got Aaron and the people down downstairs, so to speak, yep. and he comes back and they've got this golden calf, cavorting and, and carousing. Yeah, I mean, look at the response there. What does Moses order to have done? The, the, the calf is pulverized and, and ground into a powder and sprinkled in water, and they have to drink, drink it. it. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, the, yeah, the, 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 the things that compete for our affections, we, we, need to, we need to destroy the idolatrous part of that. Now, I, I say it that way because sometimes there are good things that become ultimate things that compete for our affections. Uh, sure. Our families can become an idol in our lives. Um, your, your kids success in sports can become an idol in your life. Yep. Your, uh, your quote unquote family time, if it competes with you being a, an active participant in the life of the church can become an idol that needs to be destroyed in your life. Now that doesn't mean you destroy your family or your kids <laughs> or anything else, but it, it may mean, man, we got to zoom out for a second and, and think about some changes that need to be make, made here. So we're not pursuing these idols. You know, that, that last one sounds like it's probably one of the more more obvious ones that I think people could wrestle with. So today's day and age is, again, talking about idolatry and family idolatry in particular. Can you provide some quick and dirty guidelines? Yeah. They got to be dirty. They can't be clean. Quick and dirty guidelines for how to make sure that our family is well cared for and provided for, but not becoming an idol in our lives. Yeah. I, I, I would say a, a good barometer is making sure that the church never competes with your family in the live, in the eyes of your kids, that your kids shouldn't ever see the church as taking you away from them or, or as taking time away from your family, that, that this is a, you, you and I'm talking to you men specifically need to lead your families to love the church and to see the church as an extension of what it is to be a family. Your, your identity as a family is not separate from your identity as, of, as part of the church. And, and even that you may push back on that and say, well, no, you're wrong. It is. Uh, I, listen, there is a, we, we pray for the salvation of our kids all the time, but the reality is some of you listening to this may spend eternity with people in the church and not with people in your own household. And so we need to understand that there is a bond that's deeper than blood and thicker than blood. And that bond is the church. That is the body of Christ. And that's not to say, kick your kids to the side and don't spend time with them. You have a stewardship. You should be spending time with them. That's not to say, ignore your wife and don't take her out on dates. You should be. You've got a stewardship to care for that marriage and do that well. But you also need to understand the importance of the church. The church doesn't take second place. It's it's not a family first and then the church. That That's, that's a, a false dichotomy that our Americanized culture has created instead of seeing that our family is part of the church and church is part of what the holistic understanding of what our family looks like and should be. Yeah, it sounds a lot like uh, some of the cultural phrases, God first, family second, and then I forget whatever falls into third and fourth place. But Trump. <laughs> Trump third. <laughs> Uh, it's probably a little too close to the home, brother. Yeah, I, I not not my home. <laughs> That's not what we would say. Home as in North Texas. Okay, so what you're saying then is our family and the church are, are in a symbiotic relationship. They're, yes. They're not competing with one another yes. in the way that we often think about it. Yes. And in the perfect way of things, um, we are managing both really well. They both yeah. take a significant part of our lives. Yeah, and, and, and we, from the, the word go in, in planting this church, have been intentional to say, we want to make sure that we are building margin into the lives of the people in the church such that you do have that time to spend with your family, that you do have that time to be involved with your family, with your neighbors, and be involved in a, on a sports team or whatever that looks like. Because we understand that there's, there's benefit, not just to your family, but also to your community and having that time. So, our desire is not to, to build a, a, a 
programmatic church where you are at church Monday through Sunday and you're here every single night and we're, we're, you're sitting there feeling like you're burnt out and you've got PTSD because you, you don't know where to turn with that's not, you know, here's more church. That's not, that's not what, what we're saying. That's not what our goal is, but we do want, yeah, like you said, symbiotic is a good, good word there. This, this mutually beneficial relationship between the church and the family. Helpful clarification. Yeah. A tough one to strike though. I mean, that, that's not an easy, it's hard. not an easy task. It's hard. It's hard. And we feel it as pastors too. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah, for sure. In fact, you can pray for us on that regard. I mean, that's, that's one thing that I never want my kids to walk away saying is, man, dad got, I, I missed out on time with dad because of the church. And, uh, they might say that even if you did do a good job with that, wouldn't they? I mean, that's still a possibility. Yeah, it, it is a possibility, but I, I guess in saying, I want them to love the church as much. Yeah. Like I want them to not look at the church as, as competing, but look at the churches. This is awesome that we get to be a part of the church. Yeah, it's and get our to privilege do this. to be part of this. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, chapter 31, the rest of it, Jacob basically looks at Laban and says, see, I told you I didn't have them and uh, appeals to his integrity. And uh, Laban is uh, is kind of left to say, to shrug and say, okay, well, I, I don't know what happened. And they set this kind of mo- monument and this covenant between them and then they depart. And, and really it ends. And I wrote down, none of it really feels good at the end of chapter 31. We're kind of like, ah, man, this just feels icky. And like, let's move on. Let's get to better things from this point. So there you go. There you yeah. Go. Tune in tomorrow and uh, we'll talk about uh, it. It doesn't necessarily get better. Yeah, but it it, it will. It will. Don't worry. (laughs) It will. Just keep reading your Bibles and track with us as we keep going. You just have to wait to the end of the year when it gets to Revelation. Then it gets really good. Yeah. I mean, there's some good, there's some highlights in between that. Like the whole, the whole crucifixion resurrection thing. Like that's, that's, that's a a good thing for us. But but we killed the Lord of glory. So there is that part. Well, okay. We'll agree to disagree. (laughs) See you guys tomorrow. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.